All right, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. And if you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, look how quickly they go. I, it breaks my heart every... No, it doesn't really. I understand. I was their age once. Um, but if you are a guest and have a second through fifth grader, uh, you're welcome to walk back and see where they're headed. It's a great environment for uh, them to have their own teaching, fun games, and small groups. And, uh, and you can pick them up whenever we're done. So uh, we're going to continue our series today. And the, the simple series... Um, is it's going to be a little different. And you may have noticed that starting last week in that um, rather than trying to do some kind of comprehensive look at a uh, specific teaching or a specific character or a specific book, we're looking at some of the primary ways in which we follow Christ. And I'm convinced uh, over years of following Christ that this is more the heart of Jesus when we stop trying to make everything so complicated and complex, but instead we just return to what is simple. And last week uh, we talked about what I, be, I, I believe and the way I shared it with you is the foundation for everything else that comes in knowing Christ and following Him, and that is that we have a simple faith. And uh, if you'd like to go back and look at that, you can. Uh, we looked at Hebrews eleven six. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. And the very foundational, simple idea, not simplistic, but simple idea that we must seek him and have faith. We changed our definition of faith from just those things that we can't see but we believe are true to Talk about trusting God, having such a high view of God that we trust Him implicitly. And we began talking about, well, then how do we seek Him? What does it look like to seek Him? Uh, One of the things that we discussed is the reality that what He is asking us to do is to not only to understand who He is in truth, but also to understand that His Word is not only true, but it is necessary. There's a very real difference when we practice our faith, when we understand that something is necessary, not just true. There are a lot of things that are true, but are not necessary. Whenever we approach His Word, once we begin to understand that it is, then it will begin to change the way we interact with it and change the way that we see Him. Now, what's going to inevitably happen, and I will tell you I feel very insecure about today's message, not because I'm not sure about it, but because it is not easy to take a topic like this, and boil it down and say it's simple. Because there are some things that, while the idea is simple, the practice is so much more than that. So in all of our series together, our goal is not just to simplify. Our goal is not just to say there are simplistic principles that we need to agree to. But we do understand that Jesus did not make things difficult. Now, we, w- we may say, no, I'm not in for this. But he did not make it difficult. Things were very simple with him. His exchanges with others were very simple. His response was very simple. And so when we today, the church, I would say is incredibly complicated, wouldn't you? I mean, when we start talking about, well, which church should we go to? Then that in and of itself has all kinds of questions. There was a time that that just simply was, well, which one's close? (laughs) Which one can we make it to? But now we've got to consider things like, you know, what denomination are they? We've got to consider well, what kind of kind of music, what kind of style of worship do they have? Well, what what version of the Bible do they use there? And and we come up with all kinds of these complicated things. I found when I became a, a pastor early on, I was way too young to become a pastor when I did. I found that there were all kinds of other complicated decisions we had to make, and the color of the carpet had to be right because that demonstrated our faith, and the color of the choir robes had to be right. Because God was going to be upset with us if we had the wrong color choir robes. I was like, this is way too complicated. You know, you just want to kind of go back. Well, God, God so loved the world. I don't know if I don't want to make all these other decisions. And over the years, I just, I believe more and more that we've got to return to just following him simply. Not having to raise all the questions. Not having to have an answer for every single one. Not having to make sure that we agree with everything that's going on or somehow adjusting our interpretation of Scripture because we think we know what it says, but we don't like what it says, and so we kind of change it because then I feel better about it. Those are the things that make it complex and empty. 
So last week we talked about simple faith, and the thing that I'm somewhat insecure about sharing with you today, because it is highly personal, and, it, and it's, it's kind of like trying to describe what love is. It's just difficult, but I want us to talk about simple worship. I want us to talk about worship here together. In a couple of weeks we did this, and we talked about worship in a little different way. Today I, I want to back up, and I want to look big picture at worship with you, and I hope that you have so far this morning had an opportunity to not only experience worship, but more importantly, to offer worship. Because there's a very real difference between those two desires, to receive or to offer. And so I'll tell you just up front that what I'm going to talk to you about is what we are offering in worship, not about what you're supposed to receive in worship. Because once you begin to offer in worship, what Scripture tells us to offer, you will receive without having to attempt to receive something. It's an amazing thing. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. We're going to jump, jump around a little bit, but not as much as we usually do. We're going to start with Revelation chapter 4. And I just want to give you some background before we move forward. What we know as we read through Scripture, and one of the things that we ascend to as we celebrate baptism today, as we remember our own faith and our own uh, trusting in Christ, the hope that one day we're going to be with Him forever, is that heaven is filled with worship. If we don't get worship now, we will be very confused then, <laughs> because that's what heaven is. It is worship. We read about this in Revelation chapter 4. This is uh, John is receiving a vision from Christ. And he is sharing what he sees is going on in heaven. This is Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated at the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there it was... it were. Before there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. See, in heaven, this is what's going on. When we talk about heaven, we most inevitably begin to think about it in terms of ourselves rather than in terms of God. We tend to think about heaven as a place where we won't suffer. We tend to think about heaven as a place where we won't hurt. We think about our time in heaven as a place where we won't be tempted to sin. We won't mourn. We won't cry. We won't be sad. We won't be depressed. We will be happy. Now, All of those things are technically true. But the problem is, is if we enter into an understanding of God's glory and majesty solely focused on what we get out of it, we miss His glory and majesty. 
And so when we enter into worship and as we look at what's going on in heaven, heaven is literally not just a place where God's going to give us all that we want and it's going to be a place where our dreams come true. Heaven is going to be the place where we get to be in the presence of God and celebrate His glory and majesty all the time. Like all the time, that's what we're going to do. Now I hope that that does not look like me or Glenn or Ken or Scott or some of you other people sitting on a cloud in a diaper with a harp. I hope that's not what it's going to look like. Amen. All right. You know, you know, some of you think that may be what happens and I'm hoping it's not. All right. I don't want to see that. We have these simplistic expectations of heaven. That's not what I'm trying to offer. But I do want us to go back into the core of what is it really? And what we know is that in heaven, there is constantly worship going on in the presence of God. Now, I cannot fathom, you know, what John was going through emotionally as he's receiving this vision. I mean, the the images that he's seeing and the description of the creatures, you know, most of us would be like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm not sure I actually made it to heaven. I may have made it somewhere else. You know, this sounds terrible. But the point was it was such an overwhelming vision of what it looks like to be in the presence of God and all that is going on behind the scenes that you and I don't see here now that he didn't really even have a way to describe to us how incredible it was. The reality is, is we do see like through a mirror dimly lit in which that we don't exactly see everything. We have glimpses, but there's going to be a time when all this goes away and we're going to see what is full and what is real and what is true. And if we're going to drop back and say, I want to follow God and go back to what is simple, as he describes it, then we recognize that there's a bigger picture here. There's something more important. Within heaven, what's going on right now, that is what is real. We tend to think, well, what I see on the news is real. What I see when I get in my car and I drive somewhere is real. Whenever I go to work, that's real. Whenever, you know, I I come here kind of as as a respite from real. But when I leave here, I'll have to re-engage the real world. And I like to talk about this kind of stuff, but it doesn't feel as real as the fact that I've got a project due tomorrow or I've got homework I've got to do tonight. And the reality is, is that what is most real in the world is not what we see in this place, but it is what is happening in heaven right now. But a lot of times we don't adjust our focus to that. We adjust our focus on what's going on right now in my life right here. It's natural. It's normal. A lot of people do it. But when we approach worship from this perspective, we're missing out on what it's really about. We look back at what they're actually saying. The living creatures are, it says, that they give glory and honor and thanks to him by saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The elders who cast their crowns down before, before God, is, it says in verse 11, say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The truth is that heaven is continually giving glory, honor, and thanks to God. Now what you don't see here is you don't see a focus on the process of what they're doing. You don't see a focus on, well, you know, was there a harmony going on here? Is there a melody? I mean, did they sound good together or did some of them sound like they should be volunteering doing something else, right? Instead of singing. What you don't see is a discussion of, well, is their personality such that they feel compelled to say something about God to God? And some of the conversations we have about worship, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sing. I, I'm not, you know, that's just not who I am. And, and that's fine. My purpose is not for us to talk about how we sing. My point is that they didn't have the conversation about how do we sing. But a lot of times that's the conversation we have about worship in church. I know when I, we started here, I know we wanted to do everything really well. We wanted to do things differently and, and, uh, you know, everything was about, let's do everything, you know, just perfect, which was, if any of you know us, no, that doesn't go well. 
We tried to do all kinds of great things and they all backfired. I try not to do too many physical illustrations up here because they all end up, you know, just looking silly. You know, some people are really good at them. I'm not. Just gave that up. One time we thought we were going to bless our congregation with a snowstorm. Do any of you remember our snowstorm we had in church one day? It was the most disappointing, dismal snow, snow trickle that you've ever seen. It did not go well at all. There's no conversation about this kind of stuff. Instead, what you have are these four creatures, whatever they are, these elders, whoever they are, simply because they see the magnificence of God giving glory and honor and thanks to Him. Compelled, not a script, not something that we're supposed to do. Not like, okay guys, we're going to meet in the throne room 3 o'clock today. Remember, you guys got the worthy, worthy, worthy stuff. You guys got the holy, holy, holy stuff. We'll meet you there at 3. You know, Don't be there at 3.05. That's too late. We're going to be there at 3. Now you do your part, we'll do our part. Then listen, we're going to go out for drinks after. That's not the conversation we see. But instead, the conversation you see are that they are compelled to demonstrate to God that He has glory and honor and power. See, in heaven, this is what's going on all the time. And if we want to talk about heaven on earth, what would it look like if our lives were constantly in a state of worship all the time? What if we just get a jump on that now? Because you see, the heaven that we talk about with being without fear and without hurt and without pain, what it's really trying to tell us is heaven is going to be so magnificently overwhelming that you're not going to even worry about that stuff. Well, what if you could live that life right now? What if you could live right now in a constant state of worship that you were just enamored in awe of God's glory, of God's honor, that we were giving thanks to Him? They're giving glory because they see His value. Honor because He is esteemed over everything. Over me, over you, over the best person we know. And thanks because we recognize His goodness and generosity in everything that we do. But you see, we peel back the layer of this world in which you and I interact with. Heaven isn't the only place filled with worship. Did you realize that the earth is filled with worship at this moment as well? And I don't just mean because a lot of church services are going on right now. The earth is filled with worship. Psalm, one, or Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. How many of you, some of you have been posting some incredible sunrises lately. Does that ever move you to a place of worship? Now, if you just love color, <laughs> maybe not. You just go, wow, that's really good color. I like that. I'm going to take a picture. But does our mind go back to God did that? And whatever that is, how beautiful that is, God is so much more than that. It moves us to worship. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. See, when we begin to see the world differently, this is part of this ongoing conversation we've been having about living in the kingdom of God rather than trying to make, you know, where we are now that kingdom. See, there's been a real effort for us to make our own nation the kingdom of God. We put it on our money, we put it on our license plates. But this is not the kingdom that he talked about. Nor is it the kingdom he told us to be concerned about. He said, you can live in a different kingdom. You can be a part of a different kingdom. My kingdom, when Jesus was being questioned before he was tortured and crucified, he was asked, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, yes, you say rightly. Yes, but I, my kingdom is not of this world. I am not a king of this world. My kingdom is different than this world. But what Scripture tells us is that kingdom is still going on right now, whether we see it or not, whether we're interacting with it or not, whether we're involved with it or not, that kingdom is still happening. And one of the ways in which we live in that kingdom now is to recognize these things are happening all around us if we'll peel back the layers of this world and see it. 
Rather than be so focused on what we have to do, what we have to take care of, what our schedules are, what our jobs are, what our goals are, what our dreams are. Instead, we will just see what's happening around us. The heavens are proclaiming it and it is going throughout all the earth. The glory of God. When we look about God's glory, we find that God's glory is evident in the world around us if we will see it. Romans 1 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. I shared with you before, I, I spent a summer in college uh, I, I, on a Navajo reservation uh, with some friends, and we worked with kids uh, on this reservation. And it was right out on the tip of all of the postcards that you would ever buy in the Southwest. You know, it, we were, that was all in our backyard. So, you know, we would do stuff by day, and then we would get some time off, and we would go, you know, travel around and see these monuments. And they were breathtaking. Breathtaking. If you've never been out to the Southwest, you've got to see it. It's so completely different from here. I remember talking to some of the people on the reservation saying, hey, this is beautiful. I bet you just love living here amongst all of this beauty. And they said, oh yeah, not really. (laughs) We just think it's dirty here. And boy, it was dirty. I mean, the Southwest is not a lush green paradise. By the end of the day, I mean, dirt gets everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And, uh, but for us, new eyes to see, we could care less. Because it was magnificent. Seeing what God had created was magnificent. I love the Smoky Mountains. I love all the green. I love that you can almost breathe in chlorophyll as you hike around i love it but i love when we go out to the southwest and we see there's very little green but the beauty is spectacular god is so creative he does, he just creates in so many different ways it's amazing do we see this world and the amazing things that god has done and the glory that he says in romans that paul is saying in romans is do we see that and do we simply say yeah that's just i'm used to it that's just the world. That's just stuff. I, I, it's dirty. Or do we see God's magnificent hands working around it, pulling it together, the diversity of His creation? Do we praise Him and worship Him because we see God did this? Or do we more likely go, oh, that's interesting, on our way to whatever the next thing is that we're doing? Are we focused on God's glory that is in the world. So one of the reasons I struggle with this kind of a topic, because quite honestly, trying to convince you know uh, people, you, you kind of either see this or you don't, right? You know, you know what that's like. It's like I want to try to c- communicate this to you, but I'm not really sure I can do it. It's it's like John communicating his vision from Jesus, and you got these creatures with eyes everywhere, and you're like, ah, that would freak me out. It's hard to describe this. The beauty of God is everywhere. His glory is not hard to see if we're looking. There's a great passage. I I don't know if you're familiar with Francis Chan. and He's done lots of different things through the years. And one of the things I love is he's a prolific author and a great pastor that has had shifts in the way that he understands God. He understands what it looks like to follow him. Maybe not shifts, but at least refinements, adjustments. In his book, Crazy Love, he's talking about this incredible opportunity to worship and what God has done in his diverse creation. I'm just going to, I want to give him credit. I didn't come up with this. He wrote this. He says, did you know that a caterpillar has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head? That's quite a few for a bug. 
the average elm tree has approximately 6 million leaves. And your own heart generates enough pressure as it pumps blood throughout your body that it could squirt blood up to 30 feet. Some of you are thinking, cool, I'm going to go try that. Let's see if that can happen. Stay away from me. Have you ever thought about how diverse and creative God is? He didn't have to make hundreds of different kinds of bananas, but he did. He didn't have to put 3,000 different species of trees within one square mile in the Amazon jungle, but he did. God didn't have to create so many kinds of laughter. Think about the different sounds of your friend's laughs, wheezes, snorts, silent, loud, obnoxious. How about the way plants defy gravity by drawing water upward from the ground into their stems and veins? Or did you know that spiders produce three kinds of silk when they build their webs? They create 60 feet of silk in one hour, simultaneously producing special oil on their feet that prevents them from sticking to their own web. Coral plants are so sensitive that they can die if the water temperature varies by even one or two degrees. Did you know that when you get goosebumps, the hair in your follicles is actually helping you stay warmer by trapping body heat? Or what about the simple fact that plants take in carbon dioxide, which is harmful to us, and produce oxygen, which we need to survive? I'm sure you knew that, but have you ever marveled at it? And these same poison-swallowing, life-giving plants came from tiny seeds that were placed in the dirt. Some were watered, some weren't, but after a few days, they poked through the soil and out into the warm sunlight. Whatever God's reason for such diversity, creativity, and sophistication in the universe, on earth, and in our own bodies, the point of it all is His glory. God's art speaks of Himself, reflecting who He is and what He is like. When was the last time that you just stopped and saw the glory of God around you? The last time that you just marveled at what God was doing? When was the last time you were stopped in your tracks? You had a busy schedule, you had a next thing to do, you had projects you had to complete, and yet you stopped because you encountered God. See, this is what it looks like to follow him. This is not a rare experience. This is not just for those people who are most spiritual, for those who are in, in some kind of ministry or missionaries around the world. This are for those people that know Christ. This is what it looks like to follow him. So whenever we begin talking about worship in the context of songs and of music, and is that the style I like, and do I like the way that it's presented, and do I like the message and how the message is presented, do I like the videos that were played, we, we are focusing our attention on something other than God. And it's no wonder that we leave church empty because we've never truly experienced Him because we were looking for something for us. This is one of the reasons that the church is in the shape that it is today. And it's it's discouraging. I I meet with all kinds of pastors and it's interesting. There's like you know, there's this spiritual migration that happens in in our city, and not just in our city, in all cities. There's spiritual migration. And 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 a church grows with lots of people and then you kind of get used to it and you start looking for something different and you kind of migrate to somewhere else and again, that's not really what I'm looking for. So I, I start looking for something else. Well, that's not really what I'm looking for. I, I found when people come and talk to me and say, you know, my church is just not giving me what I'm looking for. I, I, I don't ever say this. So if, I don't think anyone in this room has said that to me. I don't think I'm stepping on any toes here. But anytime somebody says that to me in the back of my mind, I go, well, okay, it was good to meet you. You may be here a month, six months, or a year, but you'll be gone. Because you're going to ask from us something that your previous church couldn't offer and something that we can't offer you either. Because you're going to ask us to replace your object of worship with something else. With a way of speaking, a way of presenting a message, a way of talking, a way of singing, a way of doing music that we cannot fulfill you because that cannot fill the cavity of recognizing the glory of God. And that does not mean that we can't be distracted, that we don't need to have some level of, of being able to pull something off. So, you know, 
that our minds aren't shooting off all over the place. But worship really is dependent not on those leading in worship, but on those coming to worship. Yesterday I, I had an experience and it was a small experience. I don't want to make it as some kind of life-changing experience, but I have these experiences all the time. Emma had a volleyball tournament. We headed out super early. We were both like so tired yesterday morning. We had, they had the first game down in Dalton, so we, we had to leave early. So I was tired. It's been one of those weeks. Y'all ever have a week where you just either wish you could have a do-over or you could just pretend it didn't happen? Anybody else have one of those weeks? I didn't get near what I needed to get done, and yet I felt like I never stopped. You know, projects I needed to complete, not only did they not get completed, sometimes they become worse than when they were before the week started. We had some, we had some accidents with vehicles this week, and we had two of those this week. And, you know, just happened. It just happens. That's the way life happens, and... Yesterday, you know, I was doing what sometimes I can do, and I was just feeling down on myself and thinking, well, you know, this hasn't been a great week. I'm kind of tired. I had my laptop with me. I thought, I'll be productive when Emma's not playing, and I'll get stuff done. You know how much I got done? Nothing. I got nothing done. And that was okay. But I was just kind of down on myself. I was just down on on life. I was just like, this has not been a good week. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I, I just... You know, God, why is this happening? Now, I get it. Some of you were thinking, well, you know what? That doesn't sound like a bad week compared to other people. And I know (laughs) there are other people whose, you know, their best days are worse than my worst day. I know that. That's not the point. I was just throwing a little pity party. I'm sick of the rain. Can I get an amen? I'm tired of the overcast. I'm ready for sun, I'm ready for warmth, I'm ready to, you know, not feel like, you know, like, ugh. I walked outside to, put, to stake some stuff to my car, and it had just rained. And you know that freshly rained smell? You know what that smells like? Like it hasn't rained for a few days, and it's like everything's clean. And there's just this... I don't know, it's, like, it's, just, it's just refreshing. And the whole time leading up to this moment, I've been thinking about me. Not everybody else is involved in this week that's also gone on. Not in, in all the things that God has done in addition to all the bad things that I see. But I've just been thinking about me. But in that moment, there was something about walking outside and I smelled the fresh rain. And it was just, I don't know, it captured my attention and I looked up. Sky was still overcast, so, you know, it wasn't like Jesus showed through the clouds and, you know, had one of these experiences. But, but the clouds were not as bad. It was a little lighter, and I could see some mountains kind of out in the background. And I just, in a moment, in that moment, and in that smell, was like, God is here. He, he created this. How incredible that he could cause it to rain and clear the air and clear the earth and make new life out of it. And in that moment, I won't tell you that I got down on my knees and I worshiped and I sang this beautiful hymn out in the middle of the school parking lot. It didn't happen. But it was still a moment of worship because my attention went from myself and my own little pity party unto God and how magnificent he is. And there's just something about worship that when we focus on the glory and the majesty of God, that everything else just falls away. When we talk about being discouraged, being depressed, and not knowing what's going to happen in this world, I will tell you the greatest answer to that is to look at the glory of God and all that stuff falls away. See, it's an amazing thing. When we stop looking at ourselves as the center of the universe and we begin to understand how big God is. Because when we begin to see how big God is, then our hearts become fuller. R.C. Sproul said this, he said, Men are never duly touched and impressed with the conviction of their insignificance until they, are contrast, until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty 
of God. Worship is that moment in which my attention comes off of myself and my needs and comes on to the glory of God and that my need is just this simple faith that we begin to have that just says, I, I have such a high view of God. I trust him. I am seeking him. I believe that what he says is true and necessary will move you into a place of worship because you have to respond to see how incredible God is. So many times that we don't move, we don't move to that place. We keep it in. When was the last time that you just stopped and you saw the glory of God around you? That you were overcome in worship and you just, you had to in a moment, whether it be just like me walking out of the parking lot or maybe it was something significant. You're, you're somewhere else and you just have to, you have to recognize how incredible God is and you've got to tell him. God, this thank you for being who you are. You are worthy for glory and honor. Thank you for what you have done in this world and in my life. As we read through significant characters in Scripture, we find that those who see God in this way are changed. We look at Moses. Moses didn't even see God, but his presence went alongside of God, but he was shielded from the presence of God, and yet he glowed. <laughs> he just glowed. He wore, had to wear a veil because he didn't want people to see the glow diminish. He had been in the presence of God, and he was physically changed. We look at David, and when the ark was recaptured and brought back into the city, David is dancing just hysterically throughout the city, overcome in worship of who God is and what he had done. We look at Paul. Paul has an experience with Christ in which he loses his sight and completely changes the direction of his life because he had an experience with Christ. He saw him. It was the last time you just sat and you marveled at God. It was the last time we had a worship service here on Sunday morning and you came in and it could, you could have cared less what was going on on stage. You were just overwhelmed with who God was. Our idea of worship is usually tied now to a place and a time with a set schedule. For here, for the most part, there's going to be a countdown, right? There's going to be a song. Somebody's going to do a welcome, tell you a little bit about what's going on here. We're going to have a couple of more songs. We may have a dedication or a baptism or communion or something else going on that time. Somebody's going to probably pray and read scripture. There's going to be a, a, a sermon, and we're going to sing another song, and then we're going to go home. And then we have, what have we done? We've worshiped. That's what we call it. We were driving home yesterday. I passed a church, had a big banner on the side of their sanctuary. It said the worship zone. <laughs> I thought, what does that mean? Like you got to go there? I mean, is that the only place you can go to worship? I, what does the worship zone mean? I mean, I'm sure I'm being a little hard on them, but... What is that supposed to mean? But that is the way we see worship in America. There's a time and a place for this. And then there's everything else. There's everything else. But when we understand who God is, His glory and majesty, and is worthy to be praised, then all of a sudden there isn't anything else. That's it. And when we begin, we begin to understand John's vision in Revelation, where this is all that they do in heaven... Or even a question once, disciples asked Jesus, will we be married in heaven? He says, oh, you, you misunderstand what heaven is. Because, because people aren't going to be given in marriage in heaven. It's not like you're just going to live your lives there and then everything's going to be rosy. Oh, heaven is different. It's full of worship. What happens if we are full of worship here and on this earth? There is nothing more real than seeing God for who He is and bowing to worship Him. Jesus addressed this issue of a time and a place for worship. And I want to wrap up here in just a minute, but I, I want to share this with you. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the story of the Samaritan woman where Jesus is walking through and a lady is drawing water at a well and He asked for a drink and they have this great conversation about, you know, would she give Him water and all the unique social issues going on for the fact that he did that. And, 
then he said, if you had asked me, I would have given you living water and you would never have drunk before. Well, we kind of stopped there, but that conversation actually went on. And I want to continue that conversation just for a second. John chapter four, verse 19, this is where the conversation continues. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus, knowing her question, knowing that she really wasn't really talking about worship, what she was really talking about was routine religious practice, responds this way. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here and this is, where th- this is where Jesus takes a turn. So many times he talks, he takes a turn and he becomes real uncomfortable. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. That, you know, it becomes uncomfortable because if He's saying, he, I'm seeking true worshipers, then what must also be true? There are true worshipers and there are false worshipers. Now, he doesn't go into detail, and I'm not going to go into detail about who I think that is, but he does go on to say when we worship, we worship beyond the here and the now, the time and the place. It's not about a schedule or where we go or the kind of music it is. It's about what's going on within us. It's about what's in our hearts and within our minds as we are pursuing him in spirit and in truth. So simple worship becomes very simple when we understand our focus is on God and giving Him just like the elders or just like the four creatures, giving Him glory and honor and thanks to Him. That is what it looks like to worship. So God is looking for true worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. Now, some of you come from different backgrounds, and I've got some some great friends that that would say, you know, what he's literally saying here is you got to worship in the Spirit, right? Some of you, uh, you know, do that, and, and you've been a part of churches that worship in the Spirit. And it's exciting, and you think, man, that's what he's talking about. you got to get some you know, more charismatic up in here. Now, I'll tell you that just because you're charismatic doesn't mean you're a true worshiper. Just because you're not doesn't mean you're a true worshiper either. But he is saying that it goes deeper than our practice into our hearts and in our heads. When he's saying worship in the Spirit, you'll notice he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, but instead is talking about how we are approaching Him. They see God and are moved to worship who He is. That moment that our soul is caught up in worship. When's the last time you were thinking about God and the hair on the back of your neck stood up? You started getting goosebumps. You start sweating a little. You're sweating a little now. It's hot in here, isn't it? Some of you are like, I'm yawning. I can't hardly stay awake. It's so hot in here. But when was the last time you were thinking about God and the hair on the back of your neck stood up? And you said, yes. No response. Nothing to do. No request made to Him. Simply, yes. This is what I want for the rest of my life is to experience this here and now. So it's easy to think about, well, we'll do this in heaven. But what happens if God is saying, this is what it looks like to follow me right now. I'm looking for true worshipers who are worshiping me in spirit and in truth, not in religious activity. Well, that doesn't mean that we abandon all religious activity, right? Well, we just won't sing any songs and we'll just sit around and look at each other and think about God. Well, you know, there's a place, there's a place for that. doesn't mean that we don't ever do anything together corporately. But it does mean that we approach it deeper in a different way than just this thing that we're supposed to do. See, just like David or Paul or Moses, they were changed as they experienced God. You can know that you are beginning to truly worship when it begins to change you too. Because that's what worship does. It changes me. It changes our perspective Change the way we see the world. Change the way we see God. Romans 12, Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? 
What's that word? Worship. So there's a, an active part of worship, not just a sit and reflect. There's an actual active part of worship. And he goes on in verse 2 to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Which is what he's saying worship is going to do. It is going to transform you by the renewal of your mind and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. See, our spiritual act of worship is not being conformed to this world, but being transformed, overcoming this world. Which this is one of the real questions we as Christians have to ask is, does the world look at us and see anything different in the way that we live our lives? Not because we come to church, but in the way we approach people at work, on the street, in our cars, in a really long line at the store. (laughs) Do they look at us and go, there's something different about them. They've been transformed. They don't just fit in the way of the world. Do we look like Christ? This is what I would leave with you today. And as as I know and as I've said... This is not an exhaustive way to look at worship. I, I probably, if, if I could have you do one thing and I knew you were going to do it, it would be this. That sometime today, really sometime every day, but, it, but at least just do it once and see what happens. That you just were still and quiet, nothing on, no earbuds in, nothing on TV. You know, not in the middle of work when you got people coming and asking you stuff, but in a place that you can be still and quiet. I would just love to know what would happen if you were just contemplating the majesty of God. What would happen within you? Would the hair stand up on the back of your neck? Would you get goosebumps? Would you begin to see the world differently? Because see, what happens in worship and the reason that they say, you know, glory and, and, and honor is yours and thanks be to him is an amazing things begins to happen as our perspective changes to one of an overwhelming majesty of God that provides all that we need and so that whatever needs we think we have they seem to go away in that moment at least because we are overwhelmed and enthralled with how beautiful God is and guess what we get to walk with him and be with him forever if I was going to leave one thing with you I'd probably rather that be it but Let me wrap up by simply saying this. As we pull all this together and as we just bring it back down to what is simple, simple worship is continually giving glory, honor, and thanks to God. That's what it is. That's what it is. Now, like anything else, you cannot give what you do not have to give. If we never see God in this way, if we never approach God in this way, if our prayer life is constantly about, God, I've got this problem, I need you to fix. If that is constantly how we approach God, we will not come to a place of worship because then we're focused on us and what God can do for us. Worship is not focused on us. I would encourage you as, as we do sing together, worship cannot be about, does this, how does this make me feel? That's not worship. You know, if you're, if you're dating someone, you're thinking about getting married and you find out that they're with you be, just because of the way you make them feel, how certain are you that they'll be there for the long haul? Because relationships are far deeper than just how you make me feel. There's an aspect of love about this is how I want to demonstrate my love to you. Not just how you demonstrate love to me. See, if all of our time with God is focused on what we need Him to do for us, how often are we just giving to Him what is due Him? Now, I've said before, I said last week, and I'm going to say every week, that simple does not mean simplistic. So we can have a lot longer conversation about all this, about lots of other things. My, my goal is not to comprehensively cover every topic of worship today. My, my goal is just to refocus our attention on the fact that God is worthy to be worshipped And we have the opportunity to take the time to set aside and to look and consider Him and to let Him pull back the veil of the world so that we can see what's really going on. There is worship eternally going on in heaven. There is worship eternally going on on earth. And we have the opportunity to be a part of it. 
Not just because we're supposed to. Not just because we have to. Like, oh, I'm going to tell you you're good because I know I'm supposed to. But no, I'm going to tell you you're good because I'm overwhelmed with your goodness. I, I just can't, I can't stand not to just say how awesome you are. And when you begin to experience worship in that way, it transforms everything else about your faith and about your life. The way you read His Word. When you feel, I need to follow this, but I'm not sure I want to. It changes everything. Because worship finally allows us to begin to see the world as it was before creation and as it will be forevermore. God at the center, worthy of all of our worship. The question always comes up. I'm just gonna I'm gonna close with this, and I don't, this is not a hill to die on. But the question always comes up. Well, does that mean I have to sing in worship? Oh, it doesn't mean you don't have to sing in worship. I will tell you there is something amazing that happens when you worship. You can't keep your mouth shut. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he's riding on the donkey. This is that triumphal entry that we're going to celebrate here when we get closer to Easter. And all of a sudden, the disciples just start out loud praising him and saying, all glory and honor to you and power to you. And the Pharisees came up and said, shh, stop, stop. And then Jesus turns and has this this famous response in which he says, listen, if they stop then even the rocks are going to cry this out. (laughs) This is going to happen. Worship is going to happen. We are either part of it or we're not. I want to encourage you that as you're here in worship, whether we're singing a song, sing to Him. Worship Him. See the goodness in Him. You may have something going on completely different than what's going on in the room, and that's fine as long as the focus is on Him. But come expecting to worship and to give. Rather than, what do I get out of this? Simple worship is continually giving glory, honor, and thanks to God. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you. Gosh, I don't even know how to thank you for this. But I thank you for being who you are so that you are worthy of that. It is who you are. It is, a, it is your being. It is our opportunity to see that and to walk with you. Everything else in our lives may be going wrong, but it will never go wrong with you. You are worthy to be worshipped. We esteem you over everything. There's nothing in this world that, that I seek to put in your place where I get more excited about it. I get more focused on it. I spend more time on it than you. And I pray that within us, you would return us to just simple worship of seeing your beauty, your glory, your majesty, and we will be compelled to worship you. I pray that for those who are stuck seeing the world as it is, and they're looking at it right now and trying to construct the world through all of its physical pieces, through all of its political processes, through, through all of the things that just are very obvious in front of our faces, that we would not be so focused on that as our hope and as the thing in which we serve, but we would be focused on you and your kingdom because you are the one who is worthy. I pray that you would inhabit our praise. I pray that you would hear the the praise that comes off of our lips to you. And I pray that we would be so overwhelmed with your presence that we would have no choice but to cry out and worship you. Father, help us to return to just a simple act of worship, recognizing who you are, your goodness, so that we can constantly tell you how thankful we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.